I'll be reading today from Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Is there a bottle of water in that nursery room there? Sorry. Good morning. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this, uh, this amazing day, God, where uh, we get to uh, sing uh, your, to your glory, uh, to sing about your excellencies. God, I thank you for that amazing truth that we just sang, that, um, that even though our sins are many, your mercy is more, that your mercy and your grace for your children is inexhaustible. It's not a one-time and done, but it's, it's daily, and we just praise you for that. And we thank you that you've extended grace and mercy to us um, in spite of um, our imperfections, and that you will never uh, remove yourself from us uh, because of our imperfections. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that um, you know I'm in an in a in- uncomfortable place this morning. And uh, as uh, we um, embark upon this sermon series, and uh, I just pray, God, that as, uh, as there's not real tight boundaries uh, for the scriptures that we're teaching through, God, I pray that you would uh, keep me in line um, with your word, that I would not add or take away from it. And I pray, God, that, uh, that the body of Christ here, your bride, uh, this family, God, would be um, greatly encouraged and reminded of your shed blood for them, to um, the, the cost that you paid to uh, purchase them and bring them into your forever family. We love you. We thank you that you loved us first. And God's people said, amen. amen. Good morning. Good to be with you all. We, uh, we're starting, as John, Pastor John said, a new sermon series, five weeks. It's called Belong Together. Um, Lori just um, read the passage that will be, we're doing things a little bit different. We're not going to be teaching through um, a particular passage, um, but my hope is, is that uh, God's word would, would saturate this message. Um, it's a li- little bit dangerous, um, actually. Um, I, I, I felt that in my heart this week. I felt that in my heart uh, this morning, and um, Paul encourages the, the, uh, the Bereans to be noble Bereans. He says this, he says, he says um, examine the scriptures to see if what I'm telling you is true. And um, you, I just want to encourage you, um, my, my hope and prayer is, is that, that God will be honored and that you'll be edified, but just examine the scriptures to see if what I'm saying is true. Don't take my words to the bank, take God's word to the bank. 
And um, if you're new with us here today, um, welcome. Um, family, um, WCC family, welcome. It's good to be with you all. I'm looking forward to what, what the Lord has for us in 2007, 2018. I, mean, I can't get used to writing it or, or saying it. Um, some have asked, how do we decide what we're going to teach through on Sunday morning? Like, how do we decide? I mean, there's, there's all these books in the Bible, and there's all kinds of, like, uh, important topics out there. And just um, roughly speaking, about 50 to 60% of the time, we teach through a book of the Bible. Um, last year, we taught through First uh, Timothy and Second Timothy, and we taught through the book of Job. And um, that's, about four, that's about 50 to 60% of the time. The, the rest of the time, we will either follow the church calendar. We just did a uh, four-week sermon series for Advent uh, called What Are You Waiting For? Sometimes we'll do a sermon series during the Lenten season leading up to Easter. And then there's other times like this where we will observe um, the body and uh, we'll observe our culture and, um, and determine to do a special series based on where we feel like the culture is or where our church family is. Um, evidence of that is on February 11th, um, as we have um, observed um, the, the rabbits in this body, uh, the, the, the families in this body, um, we have, you, you have this task, um, young families, of this great blessing called what? Parenting. Uh, parent, and so, so we want to um, better equip you to be the parents that God's called you to be. So we're going to be doing a sermon series, a, four, a four-week sermon series on parenting starting on February 11th. Um, today, we're going to start this five-week sermon series on belonging together, the purpose, the priority, and the power of the church. And I, as I was reflecting upon um, my words in the sermon of the first service, I, um, I, it, it kind of felt to me in listening to myself and post-processing with myself, you might have saw me in the corner over there, um, is that it, it felt um, like we're trying to kick you out of here. <laughs> and we're not, actually. We want to welcome you, and, um, whether, but we want to give you some principles to think through to, to make sure that this is the right church for you, particularly those who are visiting. And, and at some point in time, we all look for another church, whether it be because we're li- uh, moving geographically or the church that we're part of implodes or there's some kind of immor- immorality, um, it implodes. So we want to give you some uh, principles and some guidelines for um, when and why to stay with the current local church, and also um, how to look for a new church. And many of you have grown up in the church, and you come to WCC with some pretty, um, with some, with some certain views and preferences of what the church should look like. Others of you are new to the church. You've just come to Christ, or maybe you haven't come to Christ yet, and you're checking out this uh, thing called Christianity. Um, for me, as a member of this church, I'm a member of this church first and foremost. I'm, I'm a body part. I'm a part of this family. And believe it or not, I've got strong opinions and preferences. Is that hard to imagine? I had one guy in the last service shaking his head so hard his neck about fell off. I, I've got opinions and preferences as to what the local church should look like. And sometimes these preferences and opinions um, lead my heart down the wrong path. Now, opinions and preferences aren't wrong. It's what we do with them. Um, I'm also tempted, me, I'm tempted um, all the time, actually, to want to attract people to WCC. Attract them opposed to um, 
being faithful, just being faithful and serving and building up who God has already providentially brought to us. For example, for years, we've had this facility for two, since 2002. It looks different um, after 2010 because we rebuilt it after the tornado. But for years, uh, Pastor John can attest to this, I'm, I'm always like looking over the horizon going, you know what, it'd be nice to have a, a freestanding building on a high traffic corner where more people can find us and want to be a part of us. And, um, and, and it's not to say that a, that a larger freestanding building on a corner with visibility is wrong, but the way I was thinking about it was wrong. That actually, we should never build it so that they what? Come. I mean, that's just the kind of the way that, that church does things in America is we build it so that they come. Uh, so what we try to do here, imperfectly, as pastors, is we, and we talk about this all the time, is we, we observe who the Lord in His providence is bringing to us. And then, and then we um, shape and structure thoughts on buying units next door. Uh, based on who the Lord is bringing us, not on trying to get people to come here. Um, we just bought the units to the north, as many of you know, the, 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 the units to the north. And the reason we did that is that we've got a nursery and waddler room, nursery and waddler, waddlers are little nursery-age kids that are waddling, that are, are stepping on each other, and they're uh, pooping on each other and all that stuff, you know? I mean, I don't know. I think that's what happens in there. I never go in there, so I'm not really sure. But my wife comes home smelling a little bit differently after she's been in there. But we needed more room. We needed more room to expand because of what the Lord is already doing. He is already doing that, so we're responding that. So any type of move, any type of, of big decision should be dictated by what we see the Lord doing rather than what we want Him to do. 75% of Americans identify as Christians. 30 8% of them belong or identify to a local church. Is there something that just seems wrong to you? I mean, how is it that people could say that they're Christian, unless it's cultural Christianity, and not affiliate, belong, join, participate in the local church? And I don't have statistics, but the number of people who change churches is astonishing. It's astonishing that they, they change churches like they change coffee shops. And there are some really good reasons to change churches. And there are some reasons that aren't so good. And we're going to talk about both of those. And, and I want you to know that the things, some of the principles that I give you, um, actually on the slide that I'm going to show you at the end, I'm going to give you some, um, uh, I think, nine reasons, good reasons to leave a church. I changed the word in my notes to Principles. There's principles that should guide us. There, there are um, other reasons that I'm not even aware of that the Spirit of God might lead you to join a different church. But I want you to be able to think through some of this with me today. So today we're going to look at defining the big C church, the universal church the, 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 of all the believers throughout all time. And then we're going to unpack the priority, purpose, and power of the local church. In the following weeks, you're going to leave here today feeling incomplete, like, like you just didn't hear it all, because it's a five-week sermon series. In the next five weeks, we're going to unpack what a, what a healthy church member looks like. Um, next Sunday, we're going to talk about um, living in community together. The next Sunday, we're going to talk about the, um, the large gathering, the Sunday gathering. Why do we even do a Sunday gathering? Is it just because it's cultural? 
The fourth Sunday, we're going to talk about serving together, how we've been given spiritual gifts, gifts from the Spirit of God that are to be used, exercised to edify the body. And then the last sermon is going to be on sacrificial living together. Today, I'm also going to give you some biblical principles, um, as I mentioned, that will be beneficial in knowing when to leave a church, how to join a church, etc. In our, our slide that we created for this, is a, it's a picture of a puzzle with a, with a puzzle piece um, missing out of it. And that puzzle piece is you. And that puzzle is a local church. And every believer throughout all time is made, is designed to fit perfectly into a local church. And the question is, you gotta, you, is that we, it's, we need to find that church and, me, and you need to make sure that this church is that church. Today we'll start out by defining what the church is and what it isn't. First of all, the church is not a building. You didn't come to church today. Tomorrow, you didn't go to church yesterday. And I know it, it sounds, um, it sounds um, nitpicky, but it's really important to define our words biblically. You see, we're the church. You and I are the church. The church is a sum of its parts. That, that I am no more the church than you are the church. Anybody vocational that's getting paid is no more the church. We're, this place is not the church. It's an awesome facility that facilitates worship and facilitates mission, but this is not the church. So I want to just encourage you. It's nitpicky, but let's change our vernacular. That'll help us remember that we are the church. So what is the church? Let's, if you would open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, and a few of these are um, going to be on the screen, but not all of it. And the book of Acts is written by Luke, and Luke's first uh, letter that he wrote was the gospel according to Luke. So this is his second letter, and he starts off Acts like this. In the first book, O Theopolis, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. You know what's implied there? Is it in the first book, the gospel was written about Jesus, when his, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his resurrection, his victorious resurrection. His, the second book is about us. The book's about, it's about us continuing the work that Jesus started. That the baton has been handed to us. That is an amazing truth and calling of the local church. Look at Acts 1.5. These are Jesus' um, last words as documented by Luke here. Or second last words. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then if you go to verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now fast forward over to chapter 2. And let's start with um, verse 37. So what happened between um, Acts 1.8 and Acts chapter 2 verse 37 is that the, the Holy Spirit came upon them. The Holy Spirit came upon them. They went to the upper room. They waited. The Holy Spirit came upon them and they had boldness like never before. And they started, Peter started preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only news, the only story that can set the captives free from the power of sin and the guilt of sin, the shame of sin. And he preached it. 
And here's what happened in verse 37. Now, when they heard this, 10,000 people, only 3,000 repented. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word, who believed the gospel, were baptized. And what does it say there? And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Added to what? Added to the church. Big C, universal church. The body of Christ is made up of all believers in Jesus Christ from Pentecost until Jesus returns. The universal church of God is all of those who have received salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The church is composed of all Christians from all time. And I know this will sound really rudimentary to some of you, but, but, but only Christians can belong to the church. Because what's defined by the, what defines the church is, is we're blood-bought. We're born again. And we've used a vernacular around here before that, that we want people to belong before they believe. You've heard that before? Uh, and that's, the, the heart behind that is, is that we really want to engage people that are not yet one of us. Love them unconditionally. Serve them unconditionally. Give them the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they can truly believe and truly belong. Tozer has this great quote. He says, uh, 100 religious persons knit into a unity by careful organization do not constitute a church. And I'll finish this quote in a minute. But what he's saying there is that, that, that a church can have elders and deacons and a building and a Sunday gathering and community groups. Um, they, can, they can live on mission. They can do all that. But that, none of that makes it a church. What makes it a church is this. He says, 100 religious persons knit together into a unity by careful organization do not constitute a church any more than 11 dead men make a football team. The first requisite is life. That's what makes the church. That's what knits us together. Is that we've been born again together. That we have the same father, the same brother, that the, the same blood courses through our veins. So that's the universal church. What's the local church? We're going to spend the rest of our time today and in the next four sermons actually talking about the local church. Paul starts off his letter to the Galatians with this. He says, he, he identifies himself, Paul an apostle, and then he addresses his audience and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. To the churches in Galatia. Here we see that, the, that in the province of Galatia, maybe 20 years after the first church was established, there was multiple churches. It's plural. And we call these local churches. I've had people come to me before, and I've even thought this thing before. It's like, why do we have to have different churches? Can we just all be together and be just happy and worship the Lord together? I mean, what is, there's, there's other great churches in Windsor. Why, why are we doing things differently? Why shouldn't we come together? It's just always been that way. There's different personalities. There's different ways of doing things. There's different, different uh, gifts that are being exercised. So many local churches in the same community is not necessarily a bad thing. 
Paul and other New Testament writers often use word pictures or metaphors to define the church or describe the church, if you will. One of them is um, the household of God. Another is the family of God. The other is a church building. And he's not referring to bricks and mortar, but he's talking about you and I. First Peter says that Jesus is a cornerstone and we're being built up like living stones. That the church is built by you and I. We're not building it. He's building it. But we are what he's building it with. The church is pictured as a flock of sheep in 1 Peter. One of Paul's favorite metaphors of the church is what? Christ's body. All of these metaphors contribute to a fuller understanding of how to live the Christian life as a part of the local church. You know what all these metaphors have in common? Is that they, they involve people. They involve people that are intimately involved in one another's lives. They are all, all these metaphors are congregational in nature. You see, you can't talk about the local church without talking about its church members, about you and I. It's like trying to talk about a team or a family or a nation or even a club without talking about its members. The church is a whole of its sum. The local church is the context in which the greater church lives. It's the, it's the context, the local church is the context where its members live out Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Listen to this. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You see, you see, the local church is the context in which the universal church lives out the Great Commission. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not a place for parachurches. There is. There's, there's actually parachurches that we support, that we love, but there are also parachurches that are, that are connected to the local body of Christ, the, the bride of Christ, the local context. All of the greater body of Christ is the body of your family. It's, it's okay, like, like in Africa, Jeremy and I were in Africa not that long ago, and um, we had Bob and Gita preached up here two years ago, and Bob and Gita is, he's part of our family, not the Crossway family, not the WCC family, but Christ's family. And we, when we go to Nigeria and we see Bob and Gita and Mamuna and Sunday and Blessing and, and Abraham, and we go to Burkina Faso and we see uh, Pastor Emmanuel, you know how we greet them? Hey, brother, sister. And it's not just an affectionate greeting. It is an affectionate greeting, but it's a reality of who they are to us. Same thing in Czech Republic, Pastor Freddie, Pastor Daniel, the other people that are over there. But what's different about the local church is that in the local church, we get to act like a family. We get to act like a body. I don't get to act like a family with Bob and Gita. He, he doesn't have daily opportunities to try and forgive me. You know, that's what family does. I don't know all his needs. We know some of his needs. He doesn't know all of our, our needs. Each local church is a family. Each local church is a body. WCC, for example, in the Windsor uh, community context, WCC isn't um, the mouth and Cornerstone Baptist isn't the legs and Traverse isn't the arms, that they, they all, each of us are our own local bodies. And we're designed to certainly um, uh, participate and function together. 
but we're our own local body. And this is important to understand. So that we, as body parts and as family members, know that we belong together. You know what? This should actually inform our relationship with people outside the church, Christians outside the church. This isn't real, um, real popular, and this is a principle. It's not thus saith the Lord, but when we look through Scripture, we actually see this. Relationship with others in the local church, other Christians in the local church should supersede relationships with other Christians outside the church. Um, when I've got a group of friends from high school and the college that um, are all believers, and they have a weekly Bible study. They live in Denver, and we were a part of that until we moved, moved up to Fort Collins back in the 90s. And um, I love the, these, guys, these families. It, it, it was called uh, CGC is what we called ourselves, the Cool Guy Club. Yeah, real, real spiritual. Um, I don't know what the wives called themselves, but us guys called ourselves the Cool Guy Club. And, um, and I remember coming up to Mountain View Community Church in Fort Collins, which is really the first, um, it's the first time we experienced the beauty of the local church. I remember Tom Harkis saying, um, you know, um, when, when we have these body life things going on, whether it be the Sunday gathering or a community group, we called them flocks back in the time, or whether it be a, a Wednesday night prayer service, he says, he says, I notice that you're not participating in any of those. I says, yeah, but man, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing this Bible study in Denver every week. We drive down to Denver every Wednesday. And he said, you know, that's good. That's not bad, but it's not best. What's best is, is, is who is God in his providence put you in proximity with? I tell people, and my, I usually give these sermons to my wife before because she usually filters and tells me what to say and what not to say. So she told me what not to say. Um, it really isn't, wasn't that hard. Um, but when, when, one of the hardest things of being a pastor, and I think also not just being a pastor, but just being a body part, is when people leave that you love, that you've cried with, you've sweated with, you've um, sacrificed for. They've done the same to you, and, and, and they leave. And when they leave, for, whether it be for good reasons or bad reasons, it's not for me to judge the heart although I find myself doing that occasionally. It, but I'll do an exit interview with them is, if they'll let me. And, and I'll say something like this, is that I, I, I love you, brother and sister. I trust the Lord's leading you away. I'm not sure it's best, but I trust that God's leading you. But I want to tell you this, that, that um, our relationship, this is going to sound like conditional love, it's just not going to be the same. It's not going to be the same. It, it can't be the same. I, I've got... In God's providence, he has placed me in a body of believers as a body part that I already don't serve and pray for and live with very well. I don't know about you, but I can't, I can't handle 300 relationships. Our church is about 400 people. And what I mean by that is not that I can't handle people because I don't like them, but I can't, I can't engage with them at the level that God has designed a local church for engagement. And that's one of the reasons that we've structured ourselves with community groups, actually, and with under-shepherds, and so that everybody can be cared for at some level and prayed for and ministered to. But it, and it, my, my wife's come to the point where she doesn't mind me saying that because she knows my heart in it. But I just want people to know, because people leave thinking, you know, we're going to keep wearing the matching T-shirts, or we're going we're to keep hanging out on Friday nights and all that. I'm sorry. I don't love you any less but I can't spend time with you. It's kind of like I've got six brothers and sisters that I grew up with. I'm the oldest of seven. 
And I love them. I love them so much. I would take a bullet for any one of them. When we're playing euchre, it's, I'm going to do whatever I can to win. <laughs> but I take a bullet for them. But now that, that the Lord gave... Uh, when Nancy and I got married 38 years ago this year, and God gave us three kids, five grandkids, I am not going to sacrifice that family. I'm going to do everything I can to get time with Nancy first and foremost, Mitch and Krista, Natalie and Jared, Joey and Brittany, and the grandkids. Um, They're they're a higher priority than my family in Denver. They just are. Because God in his providence gave me a wife and kids, and now grandkids. And it works the same way with church family. And I know know that's hard for some of you. Again, just examine the scriptures and see if they may be true. When the Bible speaks about church, it refers to it as a covenant community. You see, we're not, as church, we're not just part of a shared interest group. We're covenanted to one another by a sacred promise to oversee one another's membership, if you will, in the kingdom and to oversee one another's faithfulness to King Jesus. And we're going to talk about this in, the, in, in future weeks. That we're actually to live in close enough proximity with one another where you actually um, can observe my life and you can encourage me in my walk with the Lord. You can observe my life and you can actually admonish me as you see areas that lovingly need to be admonished after you take the log out of your own eye. All of us. The New Testament unfolds the details of this sacred promise. We're regularly to gather together, Hebrews 10 says, and to bear one another's burdens and sorrows, as it says in Galatians 6, to encourage one another, Hebrews 3, to pray for one another, James 5, to forgive one another, Colossians 3. And we're going to be talking more about this in the coming weeks. The more we hold ourselves to our covenant promises, the more our relationships will blossom and endure through seasons of difficulty. You know how you get closer to one another? You do life with one another. You get close enough where you're actually going to rub each other the wrong way. Like every marriage, every local church is imperfect in function. Today, there's many people that want to benefit from from relationships without structure or rules. And this is true in marriage and it's true in the local church. We want the benefits of marriage, but we don't want the responsibility. We don't want to do the hard work. When the celebrated English preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon was asked by a woman about the perfect church, hey, Charlie, can you tell me where the perfect church is? I'm out church shopping. He says this. He says, you'll not find it, madam, this side of heaven. If you do find it, don't go near it. You'll spoil it. <laughs> so true. Because we're, the people are the church. I mean, but the the, the, the day that the Lord uh, put his hand on me and made me one of the pastors here, this became the most imperfect pastor board of any church on the planet. I'm an imperfect guy, and you're imperfect people. And if we keep looking and looking and looking for that perfect church, we're never going to find it. It's one of the things I love about the Cuppingers, 
It's not my notes, by the way. Here we go. Whenever I like step away from the pulpit and admit, they go, okay, where's Hardy going? It's one of the things I love about you guys is just that, just that how you guys um, persevered in good and bad. That, that, you, that you actually, where there, was, where there was bad, where there was dysfunction, you stepped in to try to make it better. There was many opportunities to run. And we can all say that. And can I just say this real quick? I told, like, I'm, A, I want you to stay. Like, every one of you, I want you to stay. I don't need you, but I want you. Two is, I've got no, like, nothing in me that's, that's, that we're preaching this because, like, oh, no. People are going to leave. It's almost just the opposite. I feel like um, this church right now, I actually feel like um, it scares me. I actually feel like this is a church where people want to come and be a part of it because of you, the church. And I just want to make sure that people are picking, choosing, joining, belonging this church for the right reasons. And I want them to know that we're messed up and we're going to hurt them. Not intentionally. And we'll seek forgiveness when we know about it, if you let us know about it. You see, the universal church, Big C Church, is the bride of Christ, and, we are, and, and, and it's also his body. But, but the way that the Big C Church lives out its bodiness and lives out its brightness is in the context of the local church. Through the local church, God is perfecting you and I into what we already imperfectly are. We're already the bride. We're already the body. But he is perfecting us into his perfect bride. His perfect body. I've had this picture in my head of, of a young man marrying uh, the gal of his dreams. Oh, by the way, um, yeah, I'm not there yet. Um, this, 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 this young man, uh, the bride is coming down the aisle. She's, she's dressed in white. Um, her makeup is perfect. She's got the bright lipstick on. Um, she, you know, hair is, is awesome. She's prancing down the aisle with her daddy. And, um, and he is just looking forward for a life with this beauty. And then he wakes up the next morning. Lipstick is up on the side of her cheek. Makeup is smeared. Hair's all ratted up. She's got kind of a crooked smile. And he goes, toothpaste is on the counter, squeezed in the middle with toothpaste all over the counter. And it doesn't mean that she's not the perfect bride for him. And it doesn't mean that she's not beautiful. But, but he saw her in all of her splendor, as, as good as she's ever going to look, right there coming down, coming down the aisle. And it's the same with the church. If I had a dime for every time, I'm going to exaggerate, it's probably a dozen times over the years where somebody's walked in those doors, I've got two people in mind right now that have walked in those doors, either on the first or second Sunday, they went, where has this church been? I love this place. People greeted me. The sermon was great that one Sunday four years ago. The music was good. It was awesome. Coffee's good. And I cringe because here's what I know. They're going to show up one Sunday, lipstick's going to be on the side of our face, makeup's going to be smeared, hair's going to be all ratted up, we're going to offend them, I'm going to say something wrong from up here, we're going to sing a song they don't like, they're going to think they're getting decaf or they got caffeine, and they, they're just going to have all kinds of issues with us. But I cringe. 
So what's the purpose of the church? C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest theologians of of our time, took a crack at answering this question. He said this. He says, the church exists for nothing else but to draw people into Christ. If they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became human for no other purpose. This is a bold statement. Many of us were taught to be careful when using words like always or nothing. There always seems to be exceptions. Never, only, and nothing are defining words. And clearly, Lewis wanted to draw a line in the sand. It's not about playing church. It's not about showing up on Sunday morning. It's actually not not even about joining a community group. The best picture in my head as I've been thinking through this is that church is like an embassy. Not a club. Not a service provider. An embassy. An institution, if you will. an, An organic institution, if you will, that represents one nation inside of another nation. That we represent the kingdom of God while we're living as exiles and aliens on this earth. The embassy declares its home nation's interests to the host nation. The church, however, is not the kingdom of God. WCC is not the kingdom of God, but we are an embassy that represents the king in his kingdom. And all Christians that are part of the local church are called to be King Jesus' witnesses and ambassador. And every ambassador has a what? Has an embassy. Here, that he or she is based out of is called the local church. God's design is not for Lone Ranger Christians. If you're here today and you've been operating in a, in a lone wolf, lone ranger kind of way, um, welcome. If this is um, not um, a, a good fit for you for whatever reason, I beg you, find a church, a local church, where you can be known. You can be fed. You can be encouraged. You can have fun with the church family. In this embassy, we're called to be ambassadors and witnesses. Our job description can be defined as making disciples. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the book of Acts have a charge that was given to the church. They all say it in a little bit different way, but it remains the same, that we exist to make disciples or followers of Jesus. It's about making disciples who in turn make disciples. You see, our, you've heard us say from up front here that our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, so what? That's a great commission. That's what that is. In our, our core pursuits, um, we have six of them, but we distill them down to like three catchy words that actually mean a lot. Our passion is that all men and women and children would come to know the risen Christ. Two, that they would, they would grow in that knowing. They would grow in the relationship with the Lord. And three, that they would go tell others. That's why we exist, is we want to make disciples who make disciples. It's about being so touched by the gospel that the gospel in you touches others. That if, that if we're not growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ, and we're not going and telling others that, that we need to examine the gospel again. I'm not saying we need to be saved again. But I'm saying that if we're, if we're not um, in such awe of the love of Christ, Paul prayed that we know the height and depth and love, height and depth and breadth and width of God's love for us. That, that he knows that, that once we recognize God's grace and his love for us and his mercy, it's game over. Because we're going to be like Peter and John, 
sitting in the temple or sitting in front of the Pharisees when they said, you guys need to shut up about Jesus. And they go, how can we? We can't stop talking about what we've seen and heard. When, when Paul was asked, why do you do all the crazy things you do? You keep going from town to town, getting thrown out, beaten, shipwrecked. Why do you do it? He says, it's the love of Christ that compels me. I'm so overcome by the love of Christ that I can't help living my life in submission to the gospel. So why should you join a local church? You might be asking that. You might be sitting there right now. That, yeah, I come one Sunday a month. I'm not in a community group. Um, I haven't been in a church in years, but I, but I profess to be a Christian. And you go, why, why should I join a, a local church? I read my Bible. I watch. Uh, I listen to better sermons online than I'd ever hear from you local hacks. I, I, have enough, I have enough friends and relationships. I don't need any more. My, my life is busy enough without belonging to one more thing. My biological family is a priority, and yes, it is. Thank you very much. But there's no, there's, no, uh, there's no line between biological family and church family in the scriptures. It's life together. That's going to be kind of one of the themes of the, of the parenting uh, sermon series as well, is that the church exists to come alongside you as a parents, that we do this together. Another reason that you might have for not joining the church is that I have a Bible study that I'm part of with people from different churches. Bible study is good. It's great, actually. However, if your local church has opportunities for you to grow in God's word, um, I would submit to you that his best is for you to do it in the church. And if it's not being done in the church and you've got um, a, a, a gifting in that, maybe the Lord wants you to do it in the church. These are principles. Don't, don't leave here like tweeting that Pastor Dan said that like BSF is bad. Or that the, a mop's at res is bad. No, that's all. It's good stuff. Do it. But not at the expense of doing it here. If you've got limited time in your schedule and you've got time to do one or the other, always choose the local church over the church that you're not a part of. Why should I join the local church? You can't afford not to. You were made for the local church. You were designed for the local church. And you might be asking, well, where do my personal preferences fit in? I do have preferences and opinions. It takes a variety of churches to reach a variety of people. I would send somebody to a Cornerstone Baptist or to Traverse or a couple of other churches. Um, I, wouldn't have a, I wouldn't have an issue for that. I, 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 know, I know their pastors. Um, I may not like agree on all the doctrines, but it's a place where I feel like they can grow. It takes a variety of churches to reach a variety of people. With that said, the church shouldn't necessarily cater to certain demographics. Let me give you nine good principles to leave a church. Nine good principles. Number one, the church abandons orthodoxy. Two, the gospel is not central. And here's what I mean by that. Is that the sermons are do this, do that, don't do that. And it's not motivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not, they're not preaching, you are, therefore, do this. 2 Corinthians 5.14 is a, uh, it's one of my favorite chapters, actually, in the entire Bible. Paul says, one has died for all, 
Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him for their sake died and was raised. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We can't even think about living on mission. We can't even think about having a ministry of reconciliation until we're in such awe of the grace that God extended to us to reconcile us. The third principle, good principle to leave a church, is transformation is absent. The main goal of the church is to cater to people and attract them to the church rather than set themselves up as a disciple-making, Christ-transforming church. Four, um, you live too far away. I don't know how to define that. It's a principle. But you live too far away. It's a good reason to leave a church. Um, it's one of the reasons that the Cuppingers, it's one of the reasons that um, uh, the Konzix, I can probably, some of you others, were, you actually were living in Windsor, but you were commuting somewhere else. And then you found us, you said, this is the greatest church we've ever found on the planet. We disappointed you the next week, you went back to the other church, we sent you some money, you came back, and we're glad that you're still here. You live too far away. Um, fifth is, there's no opportunity to serve. There's no obvious pathway to service in the church. There's no pathway to help you understand and and discover your spiritual gifts. The spiritual gifts, let that sink in for a minute. The Spirit of God has given you gifts to be used to edify the body of Christ. And your spiritual gifts, you have them. And they're big spiritual gifts. You have them, and God gave them to you so that you can employ them in the local church. And if there's not a pathway to using those gifts, run. Number six reason, principle, you cannot submit to the leaders. Doesn't mean the leaders are, 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 are perfect, praise God. But you might sense pride or fleshliness or they're unloving or prayerless leaders. Maybe their lack of transparency. Maybe they're leaders that see themselves first and foremost as a shepherd rather than a sheep. One of the things about us as pastors is that we are shepherds, but we need shepherding every bit as much as you do. And the word to submit to you is you're to submit to us. Number seven, you are ignored and you're not missed when you're absent. If you've been a part of this body for I don't, I don't even know what the time, time is. But you're in a community group, you come to Sunday gatherings, um, you tithe, you do whatever, and then you disappear for a month or two and nobody notices. Shame on us. Shame on us. There was a, uh, a family that left the church a couple of months ago, and um, they uh, wrote a letter with the reasons why they were leaving. At first I was kind of like, man, that's, we didn't do anything wrong. You know, there's plenty of opportunities for you to engage then as, as, we let, as we processed it with the Spirit of God and with, with, with pastors, um, th- this person felt ignored and unloved. And you know what they were? They were ignored and unloved. And that, that, I, can't, I can't love everybody. I mean, I, let me reset. I want to love everybody, but I can't in action love everybody. I can't live it out. Um, that's why we, again, why we have community groups. Um, Jesus left the 99 to go get the one. And if you're the one that, that you're off for whatever reason, whether it be off in sin or off in depression or off in um, hurting in some way, and, and the church, the church, the people, right? Not church, the pastor, we haven't noticed you and we haven't ministered to you, leave that church. Leave this church. Let us know, though. 
I, I actually want to know um, how we drop the ball. Not in catering to your preferences and opinions, but how we've not loved you well. Want to know that. The eighth reason or principle is that the church is homogenous and insular. Everybody in the church looks the same. They're in the same life stage, the same socioeconomic status, same culture, same ethnicity. They all homeschool or they all Christian school. They're all Republican or they're all Democrat. If if your church feels more like a country club community than an outward-minded community on mission, look for another church. And then finally, a reason to leave is that the church becomes more concerned about politics than they are about Jesus. Let me give you four quick reasons, uh, bad reasons to leave a church. Hmm. Here's a bad reason. I'm not compatible with people in that church. Uh. Let me give you a couple examples of why that's not a good reason. We've, we had several young families, three-ish young families, five years ago that were part of this church, under 35 years old. There was not another family and that age group. And what I'm saying, you might have to correct me on the date sometime, if it's seven years ago, but there was a period of time. And, um, and they, they came when there was really no compatibility for them. No, no other families in their life stage. But they wanted to be around older saints, and they prayed alongside us that God would bring in other people in that same stage of life. So compatibility um, is a reason, but it's not the reason. And it's actually kind of a bad reason to leave. Because in the body of Christ, you can always find people that are compatible. And you know what happened? Those of you that are like 35 years and younger, praise be to God for his faithfulness for bringing more of you here. And praise be to God for the faithfulness of these three or four families that stuck when there was nothing for them. I almost want to like run around the room and like high five you three families. <laughs> Think about an adoption. You know, when, when, when uh, families adopt kids, it's, it's right actually to see if that kid might be compatible with the family, right? Age, gender, that type of thing. But the kid doesn't know if they're compatible with the family. The kid is, a, is adopted into the family and they become a part of the family. They're loved and cared for first, and they become compatible with the family over time by God's grace. It's the same way it works with the church. Here's another bad reason. The worship style isn't your preference. Another bad reason, a trendy church opened nearby. Today's trendy churches are going to be tomorrow's boring churches. Your favorite pastor left. A pastor doesn't make a church. He's a functioning body part, and a pastor can be replaced. And I'm going to end with this. Eight principles for your next church search. And for most of you, I hope it's a long time from now. Principles, not reasons, not thus. These are principles, biblical principles. The church, here's a reason for you next. Look for a church that's gospel-centered. 
Look for a church that is biblically centered and ask the question, is God's word the centerpiece for teaching, counseling, fellowship, and encouragement? Is the whole counsel of God's word taught and championed? Number three, do they have a disciple-making trellis? Have they actually thought through how to assimilate people? When people walk in the front door, have they thought about how, to, how they can take that person that walks in the front door the first time and bring them to maturity? They, that should be able to be explained. Not in perfection, but there needs to be disciple-making trellis. Three, look for a church that's marked by mission. Are they serving their community and engaging with the gospel? Not just serving their community. Peace Corps does that. But are they both shining and sharing? Are they both, are they both um, um, what is it, DD? Um, declaring and demonstrating, both. Are there godly leaders? Does the church have humble, strong, trustworthy pastors or elders who meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1? And here's a caution. If the church has a senior pastor model or what someone might call lead pastor is, I don't know how you do this, but you want to make sure that that senior pastor has accountability and that, that he's not operating in a tower by himself and everybody else is an employee and he's the boss because we're all human. Number six, are there opportunities to serve? Sometimes the church can be attractive, great preaching, good music. They're friendly, but it turns out that they don't have opportunities for members to serve. It's all done by the professionals. This is not ideal. A healthy church is one where all parts of the body are functioning in their gifts and serving as a whole. Number seven, community. We live in an isolated, fragmented society. And what connects us is Facebook and Instagram. Churches are to be counter-cultural because we encourage one another to this rare phenomena of being with people in physical presence regularly. Wow, that's odd. Embrace this. Look for a church with a strong sense of community where the congregants don't just come and go quickly on Sunday, but actually enjoy being together. That describes you all, in case you're wondering. You guys love being with each other. And there's sometimes on Sunday after, one of this, after the last service, or Pat's hanging around, Pat and Jolene, or Chris and Lori, or sometimes Brandon Kinsley are there, John and Kelly, Nancy. It's like, when are these people going to leave? I want to shut the lights off and go home and take a nap. I'm just kidding. But it's, it really is that way. I mean, sometimes you guys will hang around. The coffee's gone. I mean, there's like no reason to stick around. Community. Last is, last principle in finding a church is geographic proximity. We should find a church that's um, close. I don't know what that looks like. But I would say if there's, you live in West Fort Collins, and I can name 10 good churches in West Fort Collins where you can plug into and use your gifts, be a part of community, you, you, sh- you shouldn't be driving all the way over here. Now, there's, there's some outlying factors, right? Maybe you've got family members that, that come here. Um, maybe somebody from your work that lives in Windsor wants to find a church, and you come to, the, come to this church because you're... There's, there's, there's extenuating circumstances. But a principle is, is geography. Look for a church that you live in proximity to. And we're going to finish up right there. Um, my prayer is, is that you would, that in 2018, we would experience the beauty 
of Christ's bride. You and I, we'd experience the beauty of living in community with Christ in ways that we've never done before. And that the end wouldn't be community, but the end would be actually living out community in front of those who are perishing without the gospel. That's actually our greatest witness. We're going to talk about this next week. Our greatest witness is how we love one another. Why would non-Christians want anything to do with the church of Jesus Christ in America? With all the backbiting, with all the immorality, with all the looking down at the world and judging the world. So I'm excited about 2018. This is going to be a great year for Windsor Community Church, for you, as we submit to God and His Word and we, we submit to one another. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we bless you. Uh, we thank you that this is um, your church. And um, Lord, I thank you that, um, that um, I'm just encouraged, God, to, just to see examples of the local church in the New Testament. That it's okay for a local church to have its own personality standing firmly on the gospel of Jesus Christ with a desire to make disciples who make disciples. And so, Lord, I pray that you would um, perfect us into who we already are, your body, your family, your bride. I pray, God, that we'd be able to look past the proverbial smeared makeup, ratty hair, and that we would just be able to uh, love one another and spur one another on to love and good deeds. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please stand as we continue worship.